Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. You are peace to a restless soul. Peace when my thoughts wage war. Peace to the anxious heart. That's who you are. That's who you are. You are peace when my fear takes hold. Peace when I feel enclosed. Peace when I lose control. That's who you are. That's who you are. You are peace to my restless soul. Peace when my thoughts wage war. Peace to the anxious heart. That's who you are. That's who you are. You're my peace when my fear takes hold. And peace when I feel enclosed. Peace when I lose control. That's who you are. That's who you are. Peace give I to you. Peace give I to you, not as the world gives, give I to you. Peace give I to you. Amen, amen, podcast followers of the Kingdom Corner podcast. How are you all today out there in the greater ether of the internet listening hopefully to this podcast, the Kingdom Corner podcast? We're finishing up episode three of Hostility and Enmity. Let me see if I can get the title right. Peace, the antidote to hostility. Peace, the antidote to enmity. And last week we failed to get into the cross-references that I want to read on peace. This will be a lesson because I am an exegetical teacher. I exit out from the Scripture the meaning of what I believe the Bible says, and I practice good principles of biblical hermeneutics where we dissect the Scriptures, and there's about five principles for really being sound in the Word of God when studying the Word of God. One is to consult parallel scriptures, parallel passages. When I talk to you about peace, and we've been reading in Ephesians 2, perhaps we should read that again. When I talk to you about this scripture, this isn't the only place that we find the subject of peace. We have been these last two weeks in the passage of Ephesians 2, 13 to about 17 or 18. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh or near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who has made both the Jew and the Gentile one, 
by breaking down the middle wall of partition between them, having abolished in his flesh the enmity or hostility, the demand that we've talked about. We've talked about the enmity, that there's a demand with it. He's abolished that. Even the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So he made the Gentiles and the Jews one. We've talked about that. That he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity or the hostility thereby, and came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to them that were near. He preached it both to the Gentiles and the Jews. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Yes, peace is the antidote to hostility and enmity. And now I'm going to read through all these passages that I have here about peace that and show you that it's there's many cross-references. First of all, let's define the word peace by the Hebrew word. We brought this up last week, but we will do that again. Peace is shalom. That's the Hebrew word. Completeness, soundness, welfare, peace, prosperity, completeness in number, safety, soundness in one's body, welfare, health, prosperity, peace, quiet, tranquility, contentment, peace, friendship. When we speak of human relationship, friendship, when we speak of being in covenant relationship with God, peace from war, and peace also as an adjective. Now, the way I first found this when I was studying it, I found what we would call, that, how we start off with when we say shalom, the example of an oriental or eastern blessing. You know, they would say shalom to each other in the Hebrew oriental culture. Genesis 43, 23, but he said to you, or he said, peace or shalom be with you. Do not be afraid. Genesis 43, 23, your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. And I, I won't go on there, but peace be with you. This was Joseph. He hadn't seen his brothers in years, and he's pronouncing a, a blessing on them. They really meant this when they said this. Of course, I think over the years it got to be just kind of rote and just kind of you know, a tradition, and it, they didn't really mean it from the heart. But they really, the way they were brought up when they said shalom to somebody, they were pronouncing a blessing of safety, soundness, welfare, health, prosperity on the people they said it to. First Samuel 25, 6, and thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all you have. Okay, I've got another study up here on my desk. I don't know if we'll get to it today. But peace offerings were offered in the Old Testament, and they were mentioned over a hundred times, peace offerings. Solomon's name meant peace. He was David's son. David was the king of war. First Chronicles 22.9, Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, which means peace, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel. And he had a 40-year reign. Uh, he will build my house. He will be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Okay, so there was a 40-year reign of peace in Israel under Solomon. Okay, let's go on. Psalm 29, 11, the Lord will bless 
his people with peace. Psalm 37:11 But the meek shall inherit the earth and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Verse 37 Mark the blameless and upright man observe him for the future of that man his peace. Psalm 85:8 I will hear what the Lord God will speak for he will speak peace to his people and the saints. Psalm 119.165, Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Psalm 122.6, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 128.6, Peace shall be upon all of Israel. Psalm 147.14, He makes peace in your borders. Let's go on. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Verse 5 and 6. Trust and acknowledgement of peace. Verse 13. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. Her ways are pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Isaiah 26.3, one of my favorites. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind, the Hebrew says, is leaned into thee or leaned into Abba because he trusts you. Lean into Abba today and find perfect peace. Isaiah 32.17 and 18. The work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. All these scriptures, like these ones from Isaiah, are talking about millennial prophecies of when Israel will be united again to God in the new heaven and the new earth, and even before Jesus Christ comes back, they'll come to him, and they'll have peace, you know. And it also applies to the church today that we can be have quietness, assurance. We can have a peaceful habitation and rest in the Lord. Let's go on. Haggai 2.9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, right? Um, Zechariah 6.12 and 13, and say unto him, saying, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, behold, the man whose name is the branch, and this is a prophecy of Jesus, he was the branch, he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them. He's talking about between Jesus, God, and the nation of Israel. Okay, okay now we're going to transition into the New Testament. I think we've read this before. I love this scripture. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David, and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts 
will perform this. So we're going to have a government of peace, a perpetual, never-ending peace when Jesus sets up the new heaven and new earth. That's a prophecy of that. For unto us a son is born, unto us, I mean a child is born, a son is given, and his destiny was to be the Prince of Peace of all the world. Let's go on into the New Testament. Let's look at that word for peace. Irene, Irene, a state of national tranquility, exemption from rage and war, havoc of war, peace between individuals, that is harmony, harmony, I'm sorry, concord, security, safety, prosperity, felicity, because peace and harmony make and keep things safe and prosperous, of Messiah's peace, that is the way that leads to peace, that is his salvation, of Christianity, the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fear nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is, the blessed state of devout and upright men after death. Let's look at some New Testament scriptures, and then I have a few more things to share to wrap these three episodes up on peace, the antidote to hostility. John 14, 27. Peace, Jesus said, I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, because the world can't really give a real peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. John 16.33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.6, for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnally minded, death. Spiritually minded, life and peace. That's a good one. Romans ten fifteen, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. It's what we've been talking about in this passage in Ephesians 2. Jesus came to bring peace, to break down the wall, the partition of hostility and enmity between the Jews and the Gentiles, right? And to give man peace. That's what, what this verse is referring to. He came to preach the gospel of peace. It even says that in our passage. It says that in verse 17. I'll refer to it again, I believe. And he came and preached peace to you which were afar off. This is Ephesians 2.17. And to them that were near. So he preached it to both the Jew and the Gentile. And this verse right here refers to that. And how they preach peace unless they are sent, as is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach peace, the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. This is a cross-reference or quote. Paul is quoting Isaiah 52.7 and Nahum 1.5. 52.7 of Isaiah and Nahum 1.5, or 1.15, I'm sorry, are the cross-references. Actually, where Paul took this Romans 10.15 out of, he's quoting that. Romans 14, 17, another one that I love. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Let's read that again. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, 
uh, you know, the things of this world, the possessions you own, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Proverbs 12.20 says, but to the counselor of peace is joy. Psalm 85.10 says, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Isaiah 55.12 says, for ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. You will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. This is kind of a metaphor. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Beautiful scriptures. All this is kind of a mini Bible study here on how peace and joy and righteousness are all related. When you have peace, really God sent peace down in your heart, you have joy. When you have righteousness, you have peace and joy. They're all related. You can't separate one from the other. You can't have peace without having righteousness and joy. You can't have righteousness and joy unless you have peace. They're related. They're all part of each other, you know, those concepts, those fruits, as it were. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Love, joy, peace, patience. Against such there is no law, Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. I'm reading my scripture here. 1 Corinthians 14.33, but God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Now, that tells us a lot. Where there's a lot of confusion, a lot of misunderstanding, there's a lack of peace. Romans 15.13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. See, when you believe, when you put faith into the things of God, then you're gonna, it's going to produce peace. That you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Romans 15, 13, let me read that again. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy, remember there's joy, a sister or brother to peace, and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Okay, Ephesians 4, 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Can't have real unity can't have real oneness with somebody, real togetherness, real koinonia without peace, without the peace of God. Ephesians 6, 15, and your feet, remember how we talked about the uh, heralding of the good news of peace, the gospel of peace, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It means when you leave your house in the morning, you should be carrying peace with you. You know, your feet, you move out into community, out to your job, out to wherever you go in the marketplace, and you carry peace with you. I love this one. Philippians 4, 6 to 9. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you got all these things bound up inside of you, and you're trying to hold them down and just trying to control them, that isn't going to work. Once you release them to God in supplication and prayer, that will bring you the peace of God. And this goes on, which surpasses all understanding. Isn't that wonderful? It, you can't—I can teach about it for two, three weeks here. I can explain peace to you, but it's really something that has to be imparted to your heart, imparted to your spirit by God. It's not something that you can just cerebrally understand, cerebrally. <laughs> understand. It surpasses all understanding. 
Only God can make that real to you, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And this is beautiful. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's anything virtuous, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's a powerful word in the original languages. Meditate means to say to yourself over and over again. To In the Old Testament, it gave the picture of a cow chewing on cud and bringing it up over and over again. You need to put that in your mind and think on those things and say them over yourself over and over again. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, Paul says, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. We could preach a whole sermon on that. You're not going to get peace by listening to the daily news or reading the daily internet page about what's going on in the world. Not that you don't want to be somewhat informed, but to just immerse yourself in that, that will take your peace away. Colossians 3, 14 to 17. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing, admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to the God of our Father through him. See, we're talking about the body ministry here and bringing, encouraging each other, songs, hymns, teaching, admonishment, exhortation. And you bring love into your heart, and that brings perfection or completeness, and then the peace of God will just envelop you. James 3.18, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Are you sowing righteousness today? Are you making peace in your community, at your job? Second Peter 3.14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Be found in him with peace, without spot and blameless. The last scripture, Revelation 6.4, And there went out another horse, and this is talking about end-time events, that was read, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. See, the Antichrist, he's, there'll be one that says, peace, peace, and, and they'll look to the Antichrist and he'll bring a false peace, but in the end, he's going to take peace from the earth, and they should kill one another and with great sword. There'll be great war. You know, it'll look like peace at first, but it will be a false peace. Okay? So, that is our word study our cross-reference study on peace. There's over 400 references in the Bible on peace. Now, I want to, I'm going to go a little bit longer here because I want to tie in another thought, another idea into this message of peace, you know. I would ask you the question today, is peace just a concept? What is peace? Is peace a concept? Is it an action? Just what is peace? You know, I think it's something that God puts in our hearts because of uh, receiving Jesus Christ into our hearts and having a relationship with Him. But it's also there's also action that is taken or not taken. 
it can be both a it's something that's the peace of God is something that's not really readily tangible, and yet we can see different things like righteousness in a person's life, like joy, like contentment. Those exude a quality of peace in a person, we would say, okay? And we get those things by the scriptures we read, the, you know, putting God's law and his thinking on those good things. That's how we begin to cultivate peace in our lives. I want to read a passage. I don't want to tie something together for you. I've been thinking a lot about this, and this just is a something that God gave me, and I think we can tie it into this because I want to share this with you. And we'll go a few more minutes here because I think this is important. And we're talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, and they were holy men of the law. They followed the Talmud, the 603 or 613, I have to look that up, rules that they had that they that you see between the old testament and the new testament there was a 400 year break and there n- nobody heard from god at that time till john the baptist came on the scene and then jesus and the pharisees and the sadducees the religious um organization of that day the jewish church synagogue as it were started they wanted to make sure because of the way things were in the Old Testament, that they never missed God again. So they began to put all these laws, uh, the Talmud, and all these things upon people. Their heart may have been good at first, but it turned into nothing more but ritual. And it turned into nothing more but something that bound up and enslaved the people of God. It turned into that. It turned into traditions that we're going to read about. We're going to read about tradition today, and it's an interesting word. And I want to read from Mark 7. This is just, I want to just finish this off with this that um, God gave me this, I believe. And the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered together around him. This is Mark chapter 7. When they had come from Jerusalem, and they had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and the Jews did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands, thus observing their traditions of the elders. See, this is a law. This is a tradition that they had put in place to try to carefully follow God. But it became just a dead law that bound them up. And Jesus came and he began to set people free and the disciples have followed him. If you're watching The Chosen, you can see that. And they were so judgmental, they missed the heart of God. See, it wasn't so much about the washing of hands, you know. It was about the heart relationship. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, observing the traditions of the elders. See, they did that. It became such a thing that bound them that they felt like they didn't do that. They weren't right before God. And that wasn't really important to God. He wanted people's hearts. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. See, they're washing up all the dishware that they ate with, you know, a meal. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to these traditions of the elders? but eat their bread with impure hands. And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy. This is Jesus' answer to them. You hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, 
In other words, they do all these laws. They do these traditions, the Jewish people, you priests and you Pharisees in the synagogue, you do all these outward things. That's what he's talking about. You hypocrites, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. See, that's what's happened. Their heart was removed from the things of God because of all these laws that bound them up and put a weight on them, okay? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart are far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts or traditions of men. They're not really teaching the heart of the Scripture, what the commandments really meant, which was peace, joy, and righteousness like we read about, you know. But they were just laws that bound people up. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold through the tradition of men. But in, um, he was also saying to them, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, anything of mine you might have helped by is Corban, that is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. See, they're, they're just going against really what the intent of God's commandments were, was, was relationship between God and man. Now, this is, the, this is the real scripture I want to get into. Thus, invalidating the word of God by your tradition. See, we're using that word tradition a lot. We're going to look at that word in a minute. Which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. I'm going to stop there. You invalidate the word of God. You make it of none effect. The Hebrew word is you make it like a, uh, the picture would be water rolling off a duck's back. It invalidates the word of God because you hold on to men's traditions. And I want to read to you the meaning of that word in the Hebrew basically means, tradition means a word that is spoken or written. See, you invalidate the word of God, God's holy word, by the words you speak and the words you write, especially the words you speak. And so what I want to say to you is when we're talking about peace, peace eradicates all that, that um, idea of being bound up by men's words. Men's words are not what we need, men's words. And I'm thinking of the way they invalidated the Word of God or the way we do that ourselves is the words we speak over ourselves. Oh, you know, I always do this wrong, or I'm so stupid, or what you might say over your child, you know, which is, uh, I, I, you know, you never do this right, or you'll never amount to anything. Sometimes we say that over people, and those are words that bring bondage and a lack of peace, you know, because we're, we're, that's what he's talking about here, the traditions of men, the words of men, the words that we say over ourselves and each other that bind people up and that will lead to worry and fear and doubt, which is the opposite of peace. You make the Word of God of none effect. You know, you take your children. I'm just speaking to, to us here. You take your children to Sunday school and church. They hear the Word of God, but then you invalidate it by the words you speak maybe over your children, or you invalidate it over yourself by the negative words you speak over yourself. The traditions. What traditions? Are you, are you clinging on to the Word of God as your new tradition and declaring in faith, yes, my son, you may have made a mistake here, but you you know, you can learn from that. We'll go on and you're going to grow. You're going to be successful. Or yes, myself, you know, whoever you are, I've made this mistake today, but I've repented before God and I'm going on. I'm going to learn something from this and then I'm going to have 
spiritual growth in my life. Those are uh, the traditions we should be we should be saying over ourselves. It's like we read in Philippians four. These are the words. Traditions means words that we say are right. Think on those things that are true, noble, just, pure, virtuous, of good report. Praiseworthy things. Meditate on those things. Speak those words over your children, over your household. Not words of negativity. Let's go on. Let me see if I can finish this off here. Verse 13, don't invalidate the Word of God by your tradition, which you've handed down. Uh, let me see. The other words, which you've delivered. N delivered or handed down is a king word. This is handed down in the NAS, but the King James word is delivered, and it means like when you are delivering a word like that, you're actually taking custody of somebody or something. In other words, you're imprisoning them is another word of saying. That word of, of, of doubt, of fear, of you'll never amount to anything, or you saying to yourself, oh, Matt, you're so stupid. You do that wrong thing all the time. You bring yourself in custody to a word of, of the enemy, a word that is a lack of faith. That's what he's talking about. And then he goes on to say, so don't do that. Don't, don't deliver those kind of words that are going to enslave somebody, and you do many things such as that. In other words, doing the many things he's talking about, that word in the Greek there means he it's fashioning something. When you speak, the life and death, we could say, are in the power of the tongue, you know? And when you speak negative over somebody or over yourself, you're, you're not only speaking wrong things, and then putting people, like it says, delivering or putting them in custody, like the Greek would say, to something, enslaving them under that word. But then you fashion something in them. Something happens in them. It's cultivated. They begin to grow that way, and they begin, you fashion something negative in their life. And it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I hope you're getting my point today. That's what I'm talking about here. You know, and let's tie that into peace. The word—that's uh, the word—a word of peace. We talked about that. A word of blessing, shalom. When you speak shalom over somebody, you're speaking a word of blessing over someone. Peace be with you. They would say, "Peace to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have." And we're saying welfare, health, prosperity, um, completeness, soundness. Soundness of mind, soundness of body, that's what we speak over you. That's what we speak over ourselves. That's what we speak over our family, over our friends, not negative words. You know, we speak words of life. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You can either create and fashion life or begin to fashion negativity, which leads to spiritual death. That's what you can do. And it's interesting, I was looking up this word some further today before I, I started, and it's interesting, you know, there's different names for God in the Old Testament. We'll finish up here, I believe. God in the Old Testament. And one of the names was Jehovah Shalom. And where did that word come in? It came in in Judges chapter 6, where one of the judges was Gideon. Remember Gideon? The scriptures call him that mighty man of valor. And I, I almost think the Lord, when the angel called him that, was being a bit sarcastic. Because here we find poor old Gideon trying to take care of his family. He's under bondage. He's been enslaved. He doesn't have peace, but he has fear, anxiety. He's trying to just tread out a little grain to make a meal for his family behind a wine press so he's not seen by the enemy, which are the Midianites, you know. And here the angel of the Lord says, 
Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. You're going to basically, you know the story. And he promises that he's going to use Gideon, the Lord does, to lead Gideon as a leader to lead all his people out of bondage to the Midianites. And of course, you know that story, how they pared that army down to 300 people. I hope you know the story. You can read that in Judges 6, 5, 6, and 7, and how they God used a mighty miracle with 300 men. They had the pitcher. They broke that pitcher. It had fire under there. They confused the Midianites, and they all killed and slaughtered each other. So what did Gideon do after this encounter with that angel? Then Gideon built an altar to the Lord. Judges 6, 23 and 24, and called it Jehovah Shalom. First, the angel said, verse 23, peace be unto you, fear not, thou shall not die. In other words, they was given this great promise to be the leader, and he was shaken in his boots, but he said, fear not. And that, that word, that's an interesting word. When we read that word, fear not, it's, I think it's hundreds of times in the scripture. Then Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah is peace, is what that means. Because in the end, God was going to give victory, and there was going to be great peace in the land. There'd no longer be bondage and fear because of the enemy, of what the Gideon, what they had suffered on the hand, under the hands of the Midianites, right? They would be totally free. Let's read this before we go on. We finish here. We're going to finish now. Come to me, all you who labor are heavy laden, Lay your burden on my shoulders and rest. Come find my peace once again. I'll take your heavy load, your troubled soul in my arms forever strong. As you rest, come rest. You've carried the weight, the burden, the worry, the fear. You've been bound up in it. I'm reading, you know, the lyrics to Peace by the group of young men from Texas, Band Reeves. You've carried the weight far too long. Why should you try to do it on your own? That's where we get in trouble, right? We get all bound up. We get enslaved to that thing. I know you're every sin. I know you're every stain. Come to me. It's all been washed away. Burdens that anybody would place upon you, like the, like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, maybe your own parents, maybe somebody that in a church tried to place a word of bondage upon you. God wants to break that today. He wants to give you peace. He wants to release that. He wants to give you freedom, righteousness, peace, and joy. They all go together in the Holy Ghost. That's what he wants to give you. That's what peace is. Peace is the absence of all those things that would burden us down, okay? That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about in the Word about traditions, saying of the wrong words over people and over ourselves. God, we just pray today that you would take this Word that I've spoken that you would put it together in the hearts and the minds of the people that have gathered here, that listen today, tomorrow, and in the future, that your peace, Jehovah Shalom, your goodness, your righteousness, your provision, your blessing upon every area of their lives, as John said, body, soul, and spirit, and finances and everything would be blessed. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would use these words, that you would use these passages that I've shared, the Word of God, the pure Word of God, to penetrate the hearts, to bring peace and liberty and freedom, righteousness, peace, and joy, those things that are good and virtuous, and that we would think on those things and no longer speak the traditions or the lies of men over each other. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Have a great day. Have a great week. Shalom. Shalom to you. Be blessed. 
Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on The Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt Guybe. Remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance, a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of the Kingdom Corner.